collide five weeks of halloween this podcast about all things geeky and for the next few weeks possibly spooky he is justin hey and i'm travis and together just a couple of nerds hey a couple of spooky nerds spooky nerds nerds, i'll tell you what week three as promised we're here wait no this is week four i'm sorry (laughs) we're all mixed up yeah all mixed up (laughs) We got like three or four episodes in the process of being edited. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are, episode four of Five Weeks of Halloween. There's only one more left after this one. Is this episode four? Only one more. (laughs) Let's see what you did there. Open the door, get on the floor. Everybody kill the dinosaur. Open the door, (laughs) get on the floor. (laughs) It's funny. I think this is the first time we've recorded at night. This is going to be a different vibe. I'm excited to... uh... (laughs) Nerds collide at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's see what kind of a strangeness comes out of this episode. But yeah, yeah I'm, a couple I'm of fully, I'm fully awake. Got my coffee. I've been awake for hours instead of minutes. So, <laughs> yeah, man, my my work schedule or my my schedule in general is just terrible. They they have me on days for training, and it just. Like, okay, so it's cool because I'm actually on a little bit more of a normal schedule with Leia, but it's wreaking havoc on my workflow in terms of editing. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to be pulling a late one tonight because I am off this weekend, which is nice. So, but anyway, Justin, you want to tell them what the fourth week of Five weeks of Halloween is going to be about? Sweetly. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say sure. And then for some reason, my brain was like, certainly. <laughs> like the Three Stooges. Um, <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about the monster fuck. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, just to explain, if you don't know what that is, there's this... Uh, this radio show. I don't know if it's a radio show or a podcast. It might be both. It might have been a radio show and now it's a podcast, but the comedy Bang Bang show had this reoccurring skit over like a number of Halloweens where a guy named Leo Carpazzi would come in and his claim was that he was the original writer of the Monster Mash, but they deemed his lyrics too graphic. So they he basically would perform the song and it was just about a, a whole orgy between monsters. So, you know, check it out. It's funny. Uh, it's, it's not PG, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's not PC either, but uh, it it's one of those things where when it, when it's done, when the video's over, you're going to sit there staring at your screen <laughs> for at least 30 seconds and you're like, what? What in the fuck did I just watch? 
Shout out to my friend Matt who uh, recommended that to me. He actually called me on the phone and and asked if I had watched that or listened to the you know the skits. And I finally <laughs> I did. So I loved how important he deemed it that he needed to call you. <laughs> And he didn't just text you. It's like, it like he, he heard it and he immediately needed to talk to somebody about it. Well, I guess he had uh, heard it like years and years ago because there's there's seven different versions now. I mean, they're all the I'm not going to spoil the joke, but uh, there's like seven versions of it. He He called me and was basically like, I think this is something you'll be into. <laughs> and it was. So thank you, Matt. Uh, but anyway, today we will actually be talking about... That's my recommendation, right at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> the monster fuck. Um, but actually, on a serious note, Travis, God, we will be talking today about the Netflix series, Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, so it's only fitting that on our first ever recording at night, we're going to be talking about... Well, yeah, it it's the scariest thing, piece of content that we're going to be discussing, or that we've discussed so far, rather. That's true, actually. Besides, like, Halloween 1, I think. Well, I don't find slashers scary, but The Haunting of Hill House, okay, so it's scary the first time you see it, and then the second time, and the third time, it, it becomes a little bit less scary. But one thing that does keep it scary is if you keep an eye out for the ghost in the background. Oh, yeah. There's an so, incredible attention to detail in this series that is phenomenal. That's all. That's all I'll yeah. say right now. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get this out right now. I think Mike Flanagan is a genius, and it's going to be hard-pressed for me to be, I'm not going to say critical, but it's going to be hard for me to have any negative feelings or thoughts about this series. Yeah, Travis, you made a bold claim, and uh, maybe we should start the, the show with that bold claim. Okay, so let's do it. So not only do I think that The Haunting of Hill House is a modern horror masterpiece. A modern horror masterpiece, huh? I think, what what's the term like in sports, like pound for pound, when like they're comparing two people, right? So let let's just say like, Season for season, The Haunting of Hill House stacked up against any other season, any other show you can think of. I'm not going to say definitively it's better than, but I think that there can be a strong case made that it is quite possibly the best season of television. Ever produced, ever? In the history of television? I, I would have no problem making that argument against anything as a bold claim bud <laughs> partner <laughs> well well you know i've been i've been completely clear that i'm a horror fanatic so when you get a piece of a, a series like this that's horror and it's that good i mean i mean every year there's a shitty horror tv series countless terrible horror movies like it's rare that we get something that lives within the horror genre that is this critically acclaimed. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know if I'll say it's the best season of a television show I've ever seen, but I will say that one episode in particular 
is probably the best episode of any television show I've ever seen. Just from a technical standpoint. Even from a narrative standpoint, I'll say that too. I'll I'll make the proclamation. Yeah. I yeah, I would the technical and the narrative side, like both of them I think are equal. Because we're talking about two storms, correct? Just want to make sure we're on the same page. It's episode six. Okay. Uh, two storms. I will go on record as saying probably technically and narratively the best episode of any show I've ever watched. You know what? And this is a test to like how good this series as a whole is because typically, not in most cases, but typically when you think of like your average TV show, one of the best episodes is going to come towards the end of the series. Yeah, either the beginning or the end. This one is smack dab in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it reaches a peak, but I don't know. I feel like you never really come down off of that peak. Like you ride that out to the end. I will say I was a less fan of the be- the ending the first time I watched it, but the second and the third, because I've, I've seen it three times now. The second and third, I think the ending is beautiful. I think it's perfect. I think the first time I just needed to sit with it. Right. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just got to sit with something, let it marinate. So with two storms, there, there there's two two long cuts in that episode, right? So I read about it, and there's five sequences. Um, so I think there's five cuts. Basically, the first, like, 20 minutes of the episode, there's not a cut, and then it it cuts to, uh, uh, I want to say Luke sitting in the, uh, in the, uh, the funeral home. And then I think there's three, four more. Well, um, do you prefer the, the timeline in the past or the present timeline in that episode? Which one do you prefer? I don't, honestly, I don't prefer either. Like, I think they match up pretty evenly. Um, mm-hmm. there's not one I that agree. I prefer over the other, honestly. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb as well. And I'm going to say this show does, this series does what I wish any media, uh, presentation of it would do it, because it is kind of thematically similar of, uh, witnessing, uh, a group of, you know, young people grow up and you kind of. Uh, alternate between the two times. Most of the time in it, uh, you know, presentations of it, at least the two, you know, the two, uh, well, I guess the only two, the 90s one and the uh, more recent film adaptation of it, they usually go all kids and then all adults for, like, most of it. In It Chapter 2... You get a little bit of the bag of forth. You still get some scenes with the kids, but it's not much. Right. And I I should also uh, preface this with I've never read the book. It Travis has. Um, so you probably you have more you have more knowledge of that. But I think this does in terms of media a better job of cycling between the two timelines in a way that's easy to understand and also entertaining. You know, it's funny. I was thinking of the same thing earlier. It, like, I, I just had like that epiphany. Like, what actually it was when I was listening to the score earlier. I was like, man, 
it, it's funny because you nailed it right on the head. Like, <laughs> I had the same exact thought. I was like, I wish that this is what it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> it um, was it. <laughs> like, not, I, I love those movies. Like, don't get me wrong. I love those movies. I love that story. It Chapter 2 is not as good as It Chapter 1, which is it, it's now called. Yeah. Um, I agree I think I, I think out of the three, It Chapter 1 probably just barely edges out the, the miniseries. But yeah, in both instances, I think, like, the child actors and the adult actors, like, they were okay. They Like, they were good, but it, I don't know. It's something here in this, I don't know. It's, well, now that you perfect. Uh, now that you've we've <laughs> kind of alluded to it, let's uh, go into the cast of characters, I guess. Because um, I think this is perfectly cast. Pretty much every role, every role, the younger version. Um, what am I trying to say? The older versions of the characters are so well casted. And yeah. so are the younger ones that I could see the younger children growing up to be these older actors. That, yeah, that that that's what I was trying to say a minute ago. I just couldn't spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I I don't I don't see or I I don't have any suggestions of like, oh, I wish they would have cast that person instead. Like, like I, they nailed it. Each cast member knocked their role out of the park do you have a favorite character um before i get to that i will say my first watch through which was two years ago i was kind of critical of the role of hugh being played by two different actors or the younger one um henry thomas mm. and then his older counterpart is played by uh timothy hutton yeah timothy hutton i was kind of critical on that in my first watch through but i was i i like it i liked it a lot in this um in this watch through i would say that i think both actors did a great job with the role but yeah. it when you compare them to the other cast members and their relationship or how they contrast with their counterparts it does seem like there's a little bit bigger of a gap between Hugh Crane's two actors like I can see like that like that's who the Hugh the Henry Thomas Hugh Crane grows into like you can see the similarities between the two actors in the face but uh the Timothy Hutton version he seems like a little bit shorter Maybe a little bit more stockier, but I mean, I guess the, it's also hidden because the children have grown up. You can chalk it up as, oh, the kids are grown now, so Hugh looks shorter because he's older, and because these children are grown. And yeah, I I think yeah, it's probably unfair to compare or to compare like the Hugh Crane characters to actors who is like it's a grown man growing older to the other one which child actors and their counterparts are adults so probably a little bit unfair because it's a different scenario right so yeah do do you have 
a favorite character? Or did you have anything else you wanted to add before you reveal your favorite character? I guess I'll also say that I really loved that they didn't cast an older version of Olivia. They kept uh, the same actress. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, worked thematically. And I think it, um, you know, it would be nice to see her older, but obviously, spoilers if you haven't seen it. <laughs> she did. She did. <laughs> so it makes sense that it would be the same actress because that's the actress uh, who portrayed her when she died. So that works. Um, do, do you oh, do real quick? Do you do you like? Or are you a fan of the fact that Mike Flanagan reuses actors or actresses? Yeah, yeah. That's like a common thing with a lot of like Quentin Tarantino does that with everyone. So sure. Um, I think you know if it works, it works. So as long as as long as the director or whoever thinks that this person is good for the role. I mean, obviously, if they keep reusing it, they're writing for this person, most likely. Or okay. like they have that person in mind to uh, to play the role from the get go. Mm -hmm. So I like it. Um, as far as my favorite cast member or favorite character, um, <laughs> I honestly don't know. I like. I like all of them. Um, I will say that the two young actors who play Nelly and Luke, uh, Violet McGraw and Julian Hillard, are the absolute most adorable children ever. <laughs> like, I cannot get over it. I can't get over how cute that little uh, Julian Hillard who plays young luke is with his glasses he's, yeah i love that scene when they're in the treehouse he's like we can color together <laughs> and it'll be just us no girls allowed <laughs> <laughs> and steve's like cool kids <laughs> yeah man he uh i just love how big it makes his eyes look and yeah. how he's always looking up, like, uh, his, his neck is always bent in an upward direction, and he's looking up at everyone. It also makes, like, what he grows to be so much more heartbreaking. Yeah. God, that, yeah, that got me a bunch of times, too. I cried like a bitch this entire rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> same. Same. Same Z's. <laughs> I think the the five children... The adult actors um, are so neck and neck, like in terms of like who I like, um, and obviously it changes because because Stephen, you know, in sort in the beginning is presented as kind of an asshole, but they weave in these moments of uh, where he's very caring and compassionate and you know loving towards his siblings, like. In the episode Two Storms, he's very, he's very caring towards Luke's feelings, uh, you know, and Luke's uh, trepidations about seeing his twin sister's body in the casket. So they always sprinkle in these moments of, or the, um, kind of like a raw realness to every character. That's just really wonderful. Um, I will say okay. Oliver Jackson, who plays older Luke does like an absolute phenomenal job playing uh a drug uh, you know 
a recovering drug addict. He might be my favorite. You know, one one part that stood out to me in episode six is the uh, the actor who played Steve Crane. He nailed what a drunk person would sound like arguing, or like yeah, because his speech is like slurred yeah, a little bit towards the end. Yeah, like he nailed that so perfectly. You know, what? I found out that uh, the actress Kate, uh, I think it's Siegel, um. Mm who plays Theo, was pregnant while they were filming that. And my, she's married, I think, to Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that particular episode called for Theo to fall on the ground. And Mike was like, uh, you sure you want to do this? Like, because <laughs> they had just found out, I guess. And um, she's like, yeah, it'll be fine, you know. <laughs> It's just a small fall. It's fine. But he's like, I don't know about this, babe. <laughs> I think the only character... Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I was going to say uh, the actress who plays Shirley, you know, older Shirley, is... I don't know. But that's... I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just... She kind of rubbed me the wrong way as a character. But watching the second time through, I understand. I understand her... Uh, She's the most annoying, but it's purposeful. Right. I understand she's why she's like that. She's not the old, the oldest, but because Steven is so, I don't want to say incompetent, but he, he has this weight on him for, because as a child, he wasn't able to protect, really protect his siblings. And, you know, he wasn't looked at as the sort of leader that kind of that role fell on Shirley and you know Shirley didn't want that but had to because nobody else would um which is evidence um in the the scene where Steve and Shirley take Luke to rehab and she uh you know foots the bill cuz you know Steve's a struggling author and doesn't have any money so and you can see she kind of is annoyed that she has to pay for everything. So yeah, her character motivations are very valid. I feel like. What about you? Who's your favorite character? Did you go into it? I've been talking. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you've been you've been talking, but you haven't answered the question. But that's okay. That's okay. It, it's a hard one. I honestly would probably. Say my favorite actor is Oliver Jackson, who plays older Luke. But I think my favorite character is Theo. Okay. So I'm just keeping it just on character. Okay. I agree it's Theo. For me, I the initial connect to the character is that she's a middle child, I'm a middle child. So I understand that portion of her character, like, right off the bat. But um, I think that she I will had... say it's almost... It is almost Nelly though. Like Nelly and Theo for me are like very neck and neck. Yeah. Um for me it it's a close toss up between Theo and Hugh. Yeah. Uh I love Hugh, both versions. Uh yeah, so Theo You know what what puts her over the top is when we get to episode 10 and it's right after you get like 
what is one of the best scares of the show when her and Shirley are in the car arguing. Oh, yeah. And you get Nellie popping up in the middle from the back seat, scaring the shit out of both of them. You know what is crazy is I knew that was, I remembered that was coming and I still got scared by it. It still gets you. It gets you. Yeah. (laughs) Because you get, even though you know it's coming, you're so invested in their argument. You get the same thing in Two Storms with Hugh and Steve, which is another favorite scene of mine. We'll get to that in a minute. But what puts Theo over the top for me as a favorite character is that monologue you get after where she's explaining herself like like what what was actually happening in that closet when Shirley walked in. Right. That that entire monologue and her explaining it is just it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Bravo. Bravo. Hugh is a great character and the two actors that play him do such a great job. Like specifically Timothy Hutton because after the events of, you know, the earlier part of his life, losing his wife, having to remove his children from the house, uh, basically giving up custody to uh, his wife's sister, you and they portray him and the acting is like on point. He is portrayed as a broken man because when we see him initially, he's always, you know, he's always a fixer. He has the solution. He has the answer. And when you see him as an old man, he's muttering, he's stumbling over his words. He can't form coherent sentences. So, like, I don't know, man. That's just act. That's acting, baby. (laughs) Yeah, and then you get to the end. And he, he's finally now, after all these years, in a position where now he can fix it. Mm-hmm. And it just makes his arc so great. Uh, So I did want to talk, while we're on the topic of characters, I did want to talk briefly about how each, each of the five Crane children each represent a different stage of grief. So I'll break it down for a sec. So... Steve is a representation of denial. Shirley, anger. Theo, bargaining, which that one's a little bit rough around the edges, but we'll go with bargaining. Uh, Luke, depression, and then Nellie, acceptance. Yeah, they all make sense. Theo's is kind of like... Um... Okay, so I had I had to look this one up. I had to like try to look, find like some rationale for this, so... Let me see. This is not what I'm looking for. Here we go. So this, I, this is on... What website is this? Is that like a canon thing Mike Flanagan said that's what... I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um. Okay, so this is how... I looked this up. This is off comicbook.com. Uh, it says, Theo is constantly trying to bargain her way into a better mind state or point of view, whether it's her intense intellectual rationalizations or her childhood, the very controlling terms of intimacy she negotiates with people around her, or in later episodes, the bargaining with the universe to free her from a deep feeling of numbness. By season's end, Theo learns that she can't control the terms of the bargains all the time and must accept certain risks risks in order to live a full life. Yeah, I can see that. 
So it's not her, it's not a spot on with her. And really for for Nelly to be, really for all of these to work, you got to take the entire season into right consideration. Cause well, yeah, Nelly's, Nelly's only makes sense when you take the whole season into consideration. But Steve's, for example, is very apparent from the get-go. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Well, I wonder if that's why they're written like that. Then is a uh... I would think so. I don't think I don't think it's a coincidence. From the get go, the... Steve is in denial that you know the things that happened at Hill House are true. He's in denial that. Well, I guess that's it. Just you know, surely with anger, we see that when uh, Nell commits suicide. And also her and anger, also anger at, Steve. at Steve and eventually Theo and her husband, uh, who I can't think of his name right now. Uh, no idea. It totally slipped my mind. Kevin. Kevin, yeah. Bargaining works. <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, okay, I gotta get this out because it's like... <laughs> The scene in Home Alone Two, <laughs> where they go to the Hard airport, left turn. <laughs> where they go to the airport, and uh, they're at a baggage claim, and the family's in a line, and everyone passes Kevin's bag down to presumably Kevin, and Kevin's not there, and then they pass the bag back is like incredible. <laughs> that's like the best. That's so fucking hilarious. It's like comedy genius. But anyway, I had to get that out. I'll tell you my feelings on Home Alone come Christmas. Man, you f- we gonna fight over Skype. Not a fan. We gonna fight on Skype. <laughs> um. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So then Theo with the bargaining is kind of morphed it's- into like that yeah. depression, obviously with Luke, and then so really the only two that are kind of like definitive they're not in any sort of gray area is denial and acceptance but only because at the beginning steve is you know in denial and at the end nelly at the yeah at the end they all get to acceptance yeah but she's definitely the first one anyway yeah that's interesting i didn't even think about that so so what did you think of the score or the music (laughs) i got two words bud it good. <laughs> Actually, no. I got I got three words. It is good. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> so sad. It's so beautiful. I was listening to it earlier and I was tearing up again. Yeah, it's definitely a good score, but oh, my thoughts are so basic. It's just, it is good. That's it. Yeah, I, I don't have much of a deep dive here either. The only thing I really do have is I like how they don't use the score to build tension or yeah. like build to, or build towards these jump scares. The only time that really happens is towards the end of episodes. They kind of crescendos to like build the importance of where they leave you basically and then the episode's over. So then you just watch the next 8 in a row. <laughs> I watched 6 of those episodes in a row and was like, "Hell yeah." 
I wish I could watch more, but I gotta go to bed. <laughs> we probably should have said this from the beginning. This this isn't a review. We're not gonna go through, you know, every episode and talk about you know the story no. as. I mean, we will talk about the story as a whole, but if this it, is this if, is more of just a general discussion because we watched it. It's not gonna be something where we're kind of guiding you through the series because you really should watch it. You you really should have watched it a few times by now. <laughs> no. Yeah, you should have watched it before this episode. Fucking piece of... <laughs> uh, yeah, really, this is more so just kind of a casual conversation because the, this series is one of those things that we know we both have watched or it's a piece of content we've both consumed, but we really haven't sat down and, like, hashed it out yet could we yeah, talk I think, about a lot I think, I think the only time we've ever talked about it has been like yeah it's good it's really yeah. good <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't had a, uh, an opportunity to yeah so if it seems like we're jumping around or we're a little like scrambly just just roll with it it's a free podcast damn it <laughs> you gotta roll with uh something what the fuck is that song that they use in those dumb commercials uh you gotta know when to hold you gotta know them. When to fold them. Oh yeah. Yeah, you gotta know when to smoke. <laughs> what? <laughs> you gotta know when to toke it up, brother. <laughs> so right off the bat, episode one, when Steve walks in his apartment and Nell's there. Oh God! And then yeah. he turns around and she's right in front of him. yeah it's perfect (laughs) you know what is another great thing about episode one the beginning you get uh oh i did have notes on the beginning but go ahead you get Nell uh scared in her bed steve gets up uh because he's going to check on his younger sister hugh comes to the door leaves goes to check on the other children checks on shirley there's a shot of him walking into Shirley's room from like in front of Shirley's door and you can see that the door is closed Mm, yeah then he walks in comes out and the door's open that's so good man yeah this that little stuff and it another little thing throughout the series like I know everyone gets like really excited about the ghosts in the background but also pay attention to the statues Ooh. I don't remember what episode, it might have been Two Storms, but there's a point where Liv is walking out of a room, or maybe it's you, no it's Liv, she walks into a room, and it comes out, and one of the statues that was turned away from the direction she was in is now looking at her, and I had to rewind it, because I was like, was that statue the other way? Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay, so real quick, in the beginning, so... This show could have easily just started with the scare, right? Cute kid in the bed, and there's the monster there, right? And they could have easily started with that. And they get there, but I love how before they get there, they like they give you a glimpse into this family and this yeah. family dynamic. You get Steve shows up to comfort her, his sister, and then the dad immediately shows up. And how they interact with each other, it makes the scare when you get it so much better and more powerful because 
at that point, you're, you're not just scared for this kid because she's a cute kid. You're scared for this kid because now you kind of got a glimpse into this family. You know she's like in a loving family. She's surrounded by love. She has people around her that care about her who can't help her right now. Yeah. And it and it may and then when you eventually when you get that ultimate reveal that the bent neck lady is her. Yeah. Oh my god. I honestly That's- forgot about that. So when they revealed that, I was like, oh shit. You know what is another great thing about the beginning? Every character is fleshed out right at the beginning. So you get yeah. Steve is the oldest crane child. He he wants to be, you know, the older brother who takes care of everyone. You get Theo, who is distant, because she is in her bed. And they even mention, don't wake your sister. Like, she... She's kind of off doing her own thing, which is kind of, you know, a reoccurring thing throughout the series. Um, I guess Shirley isn't so much fleshed out in that initial start, but then you definitely get Hugh's character fleshed out, and then you get uh, the two twins, and you establish their connection to each other. Mm-hmm. The show wastes no time making you fall in love with its cast. Yep. They they hook you right off the bat. It, it, both timelines too. Yeah, both timelines. Um. Also, I want to touch on the Dudleys. I love every scene they're in. Dude, the little monologue that uh Mister Dudley gives in the basement. Oh my god! Like Wait, when he's telling her that uh Olivia should go away. I was like, this is. There's so many points in the series where I was like, man, this is fucking acting. Like. It's masterful. Unbelievably great. You know what's great about the character of uh, Mrs. Dudley is when you first meet her, she's kind of cold and distant and off-putting. Uh, mm-hmm. But then as the series progresses, you start to learn more about her. And then she opens up and starts you know, revealing that she is a loving woman, a caring woman who actually does you know, feel emotion and has experienced, you know, so much pain in her life. So then you're also going back and realizing why she was initially like that. And then moving forward, you know, you have a better understanding of her as a character. Yeah. And you also get, you get that part with, with Theo when it's one, it's another one of my favorite parts or favorite scenes when Luke is playing with the, um, the elevator and she grabs him and Theo is just like you know you don't have to grab him you can just say it and when she touches Mrs. Dudley because I think Luke Luke said something like oh yeah mean and she's like she's not mean she's scared so Theo being Theo man Theo's awesome (laughs) Theo is awesome I also love how they you think that Luke's that that girl in the woods is an imaginary friend until <laughs> the very end. Like you don't put two and two together. Like at no other point, I think did the Dudleys mention that they had a child or if they did, you still don't think that, no, that's the child. <laughs> yeah. They, they mentioned they have a child, but um, yeah, at no point until the Dudleys came in and saw their daughter, Abigail, on the ground dead 
And then I think when Olivia walks in the room to get them for their tea party, that's the first time we see them all together. Like, we see Luke with her. Like, that's the first, like, we realize that with Olivia. Like, oh, no, this child is actually a real child. You know what is a crazy thing is, so Abigail spends the night. Mm -hmm. Before that, they had basically implied that she was an imaginary friend of Luke's because no one had seen her. Right. You know what's crazy about her arc and the Dudley's arc is she spends the night in Hill House. Like, the Dudleys don't check on her at any point because they just assume that she's in her room because they've kept her in the house for so long. Yeah. Like, it's... uh. And yeah, you, you can see that Liv, because they, like I said, they imply that Abigail is an imaginary friend. And when Liv comes into the room, she's, you know, surprised, like, oh. Yeah. Okay. But then we've already seen that Liv, you know, and the children are seeing ghosts. So we, as a viewer, are like, oh, that's a ghost. This is the first time Liv's seeing this ghost girl, and then you quickly, quickly realize. Yeah, and and then the Dudley child, what's her name? Why am I blanking? Uh, Abigail. Abigail, she also serves as like, that. that's where we learn that when you die in Hill House, your spirit is stuck there. Yeah. Because we knew, obviously, that the house was haunted by spirits, but we didn't know why or how they got there. Now we know that the spirits who haunt the house died in the house. Also, the like you said, the the monologue that um, Mister Dudley gives earlier, you get that other one in the finale when he's pleading to Hugh not to burn the house down, not to sell it to keep them on because now his child is stuck there. And then you later on in the finale, you get him carrying his wife who is dying. Yep. And she's just holding on long enough for him to get into the house so that they can be together. And when she, you know, when her spirit reappears and she has their infant who passed away. And Abigail's uh, right next to her. Yeah. And Abigail, yeah, I cried like a baby. Just at work. There's <laughs> <laughs> something I was going to mention. Um, This is such a small thing, but I loved in... Uh, I can't remember if it was... It might have been episode eight. When Luke goes to the mansion, he's going to burn it down. I it's love... Two storms. No. It's the very storms. No. It's the very end of two storms. No, the very end of two storms. No, it's the very end of the, eul the eulogy. Episode yeah. seven. Sorry. Because that, 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 that's where that episode ends. Oh, yeah. He so sets when... the fire and immediately goes out, and then you get that shot of Olivia at the top of the staircase. So the actual effect of the fire spreading and then going out is like, I don't even know how they did that. <laughs> I'm going to assume it, uh, a digital effect, but it looked great. Yeah. So you want to talk a little bit about the Red Room? You know, the Red Room, it's a lot of things, but they say it's the heart of Hill House, bud. Oh, it's the stomach. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> it's the stomach. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, this series is great. They, so everyone, everyone has their own little room where, you know, they go to be alone 
from everyone. And because of the size of Hill House, you as the viewer accept that, oh, this makes sense because everyone has their own bedroom besides the twins. You totally accept that there are an additional five, well, four rooms and then a tree house that are kind of everyone's sort of safe haven Mm -hmm. uh, from the rest of the family where they go to be alone. Yeah, it's just so masterfully done, especially when they actually reveal uh, with Theo's dance room. I don't remember if that's episode nine or if it's ten. Um, but earlier in the series, we get Shirley and Nellie finding the master key and trying to open the red room and it fails. And then throughout the series, uh, everyone has a moment well, I guess Theo in particular has a moment where she's in her own dance room and the, the doorknob jiggles when they reveal that it was actually Nellie and Shirley trying to get into the red room and the red room had taken the disguise of uh, Theo's dance room. It's so great. I love it. One thing I love about the red room is really what it's doing is it's giving each family, each of the children and Olivia, like, here's this room specifically for you. And it's also kind of just like giving them this false sense of security. Yeah. In the house. Like, here's this haven that you can go to that's just for you. But while you're there, I'm feeding on you. Because that's what the house is doing. It's feeding on them. And it's not until it's ready to finish them off that it finally yeah, reveals fully itself. Fully consume them. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that though is that uh, the room appears, the room can appear as the person's room to another person, if that makes sense. Yeah. What I mean by that is like you get Luke who thinks that it's a tree house and Steve goes into the tree house and he fully accepts it is a tree house even though yeah. it is the red room. But then we get Steve has his own version. You know, his game room is the red room. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, Olivia come up there, I think, to uh, look at the the little chest that he painted. Uh, Miss Dudley. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I know he, he painted it. Well, Miss Dudley told him, to, and this is kind of like the first indication the first like hint that there's something weird here because when she tells him or he tells her some, he says something about painting it in the game room and she's like, where? Right. And that's it. They leave it there. Yeah. We also get that where Olivia later is like, I'm going to go to my reading room. And Luke is like, where's the reading room at? Yeah. So yeah, it's so interesting. It is interesting also that Hugh doesn't have his own room because he's so concerned with the house in as a whole, which mm-hmm. is on par for his character. Like throughout the series, he's more concerned about everything in Hill House as opposed to just, you know, one room of the of the house or the mansion, I should say. This <laughs> is this episode is basically just us like, this is so we're just fucking rambling. good. Yeah, we're just rambling and saying, <laughs> we, lo- we love everything. 
Is there anything that you don't like? Do you have any gripes? Anything that you wish was done differently? I'll let you know right now. I got nothing. So if you got nothing, it's okay. We can we can continue on just praising the haunting of Hill House. Yeah, praise it before you raise it. Um, <laughs> praise it before you blaze it. Am I right? <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's nothing right now that that I can see being like I said, I was initially critical in my first watch through of Timothy Hutt, the two different actors playing Hugh. But this watch through made me uh, understand why that was not only necessary, but it works better Um, because especially in two storms, you get the scene where older Hugh sees younger Hugh walk down the steps um, when he uh, unknowingly walks into Hill, a memory of Hill House. From a technical standpoint, that episode is so technically amazing that having one actor be Hugh and having to digitally insert him into whatever, I can understand why they did that from a technical standpoint. But they also both do such a great job that I can't even fault... <laughs> I can't fault them for uh for casting that, I should say. Yeah. Dude, what about the very end where we finally get the reveal of what happened that night and we get to see it with Steve. And then you get to the end and you find out that this is actually the ghost of his dad that he's been talking to this whole time, that he's already dead. So that was one thing I was confused about. Um I was confused whether his dad had been dead the whole time or that he had uh, done it that night. Well, no, he had did it that night. He Right, okay. Yeah, he had to say. Oh, I thought you were implying... Uh, okay, he, I thought you were implying something different, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, because at that point, when the kids are locked in the red room, when the adults are locked in the red room, Olivia is still, like, under the possession of the house. Yeah. Where she wants her kids to come home. She feels like by taking their life away that she's saving them or that she's sparing them. And I feel like he, that line that he has when she's like, nothing bad will ever touch them again. He's like, nothing good ever will either. That got me too. That got me a little teary eyed. Maybe a little bit more than a little teary eyed, but anyway. You know what's interesting um, about Olivia's character is because everyone who died in Hill House stays in Hill House, but Olivia is uh is seen by Hugh outside of Hill House. And then they Well they they later retroactively say like that was you. Yeah, she's Think, like that wasn't know, me. That yeah, that was you thinking that. But it Which is, is interesting. heartbreaking too, right? Because that's right. like what he's been holding on to all these years. So you know, and Hugh that, is technically that, mentally unstable. <laughs> Steve well, was the right. Whole, <laughs> the whole fucking family is <laughs> really, dude. That okay? I'm just gonna keep look. I'm rolling. I'm just gonna keep naming scenes that I love. Okay, <laughs> but. In two storms, when Steve and Hugh are having that just that intense argument, 
And then Steve's like, the wrong parent died. Yeah. And then Nellie's casket drops. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which is great. I feel and like we've... When, oh, go ahead. And then when they, they leave and the camera turns around and you see her ghost standing right by her casket. Yeah, and then There's they... Just, then there the overlay or overdub of young Nell. I was here the whole time. And yeah. Oh my God. I want to go. I, when we get <laughs> done with this. I I got some editing to do. I'm. <laughs> I just want to watch it. <laughs> so I guess we've kind of mentioned this a few times. You know, we've brought up the episode two storms and you know how technically amazing it is. But I guess we should explain that two storms is an episode that features less than five cuts. So everything that is shot is one long drawn out scene. And, you know, which is impressive in itself to even decide to do that. Um, But then you have to take into account that there's flashbacks to their younger selves. So like the camera will turn and once it turns back around, there are the younger versions, like the the crane children. Um, so you have to think about how um, how many rehearsals it took to get the timing right, to hide young actors, and then interchange the older with the younger and still be in the same positions. And then you think about camera movement and lighting. And yeah, so I think th- I think the camera stays at eye level the whole time as well. Yeah. yeah. So the first time I seen this episode, I don't think I noticed that there were so few cuts. But when you do notice it, it changes that episode so much because like these characters are at their lowest, right? Right. And they've been brought back together because, you know, this terrible thing happened. And you just, you see this family in crumbles. And, you know, they're drunk, they're arguing, they're fighting. They're depressed, they're angry. They're depressed, and and you're, like, right there in the room with them. Yeah, it's basically you are the camera following them around. And you're waiting for the cut. Just so you can get like a second of relief from this, <laughs> but you don't get it, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds until eventually you get that casket crashing down. Yeah, I think altogether, I want to say there's five cuts in an hour and ten episode, or, or an hour and ten, uh, hour and ten minute long episode. Five cuts, like. Insane. Unbelievable. I guess that makes editing really uh, easy, though. (laughs) So back on the topic of some of our favorite moments, do you have any other ones that stand out? Um, I will mention this very briefly, but Steve's game room, he's playing a specific game, and I did try to search (laughs) the internet to find out what that was, uh, and I, I couldn't find it, so... I think it's just a made-up game, but he is holding a Sega Genesis controller, so a lot of... I thought this, too. A lot of people think he's playing 
uh, a game called Sewer Shark for the Sega CD. It doesn't like match up to it exactly, but that's like it's probably what they were going for. So that's another favorite moment of mine is when Steve pl- pulls out the Sega Genesis controller. Like hell yeah, Steve! This is just like in Halloween when uh, that little kid Danny or whatever pulls out the Game Boy, and I'm like hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, so I had I had a bunch written down, but we kind of like naturally mentioned them. So I'm not going to go through and mention like the ones I already mentioned again. One that we haven't touched on is after after the funeral, we get this scene with Shirley and Theo in the house on Halloween uh, with the knocking. Oh, it's so good. And you know what's funny is I was watching I was watching a video earlier of like the haunting of Hill House best moments. Right. That was kind of like my refresher. Cause I I watched I watched it a week ago, like the whole season, and I it never occurred to me that when they like I never connected the dots when they were little, they had the same thing happen to them. Yep. When Shirley came in Theo's room, like what? What do you want? And did they heard? Yeah. The, what are you yeah, knocking and then they for? They heard the knocking, and then they get that same experience on Halloween as adults. I never put two and two together, but when I like, it was one of those like aha moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, it, um, really creepy. One of the creepier parts is that uh that knocking, especially the how uh when they were adults on Halloween. You know what I never, I didn't realize in my first watch through that I realized this time was when well, there's two instances when Nelly is in therapy. And she mentions that she's been uh, cold and shivering and her body feels like worn down. That's because Luke is in rehab and, you know, experiencing withdrawals. But also when Nelly commits suicide, he is rubbing his neck the whole time and is like, my my limbs feel stiff. I feel cold. You know, that's that twin connection. The twin thing. I I also want to point out that I love the pacing of the episodes. And by that, I mean the first... So episode six, Two Storms is the funeral. Or it, it's not really the funeral, but it's, you know, them seeing Nellie in the casket. The first five episodes, each one focuses on a different crane child... And even though all the characters are in every episode and their storylines kind of are interwoven, it's mostly focused on the five children. Like each one of the first five episodes is about one of them, which is so great. And they start off with Steve because he's in denial about the experiences that happened at Hill House. So he's there as your first viewpoint to be like, Hmm, I wonder if these things did happen. Well, they also go in order of oldest to youngest, um, right? Yeah. yeah. That's just great writing. It is. Um, One thing that it's not an issue for me, but if if I want to pull something out and be critical of anything, maybe Shirley's affair and that could have been in her episode. Yeah, but if her episode was more so about her 
interact her first interaction with death and how like that result ended up how that led her into her the profession prof- into this, her yeah. profession it really it really is kind of like the side thing but we kind of get that at the beginning of the finale and it's kind of like okay this is the finale here why are we focusing on this now yeah i can see that so if i want to be hypercritical maybe that could have took place somewhere else who knows um there was another scene that i i had that i can't think of now oh i really love how in the first episode we get right before steve goes into the apartment and uh encounters uh nell's ghost when he first walks in he sees luke yeah, at the luke. top of the staircase i love how in luke's episode we get that full story of like no he's not like because in episode one we're like okay he's a junkie you know he's stealing this stuff so he can go get drugs then you learn in his episode no he actually stayed clean yeah from when he let like he he got his what his 90 day token yeah he stayed clean when he went back out there to find uh, her name's escaping joey right now joey yeah he's he's able to stay clean that's a that's true in every one of their episodes though the children's episodes you always get their side of someone else's that's uh, true that's true of someone right. else's arc so but it's especially apparent with Steve cuz and it even ties back thematically to the denial every, yeah it's beautifully written every every child's one episode is from their perspective and shows their feelings about certain things um and really comes across as their viewpoint of the events that happened so just wonderful (laughs) you know i the more we talk about it the more it's like yeah i i stand by my statement that we kicked off the episode with this is single-handedly season for season episode for episode i mean what comes close there's some shows out there that uh, come close but like, can you pick a se- any season of a show out of a hat and say that's better than The Haunting of Hill House? I would have to probably think about it. It would, Hill House would be up there for sure. Like, if there was any, I can't think of one right now. But yeah, um, I I know there are some. Like, there's probably. Yeah. I've never watched The Sopranos, but I'm pretty sure there's a few Sopranos seasons that are up there. I know there's a few seasons of Breaking Bad that people are really high on, even though I really I, I can't rewatch Breaking Bad. I can't do it. I have watched two seasons of Breaking Bad, um, so one day I'll finish it. I tried to rewatch it eight, two years ago, and I got like to season three. Couldn't do it anymore. Couldn't do it. And it's not because the show's not good. It's a completely different reason that eh, maybe I'll get into at a later date. Um, Yeah, we'll get there. Um, Yeah, I definitely think it stacks up uh, I, with I th- any... I think there's probably... There's multiple Game of Thrones seasons that... No, they're not better. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here, folks. Travis thinks <laughs> Game of Thrones is worse than 
Haunting of Hill House. As a whole, you gotta go with Game of Thrones just because of longevity. Not not even so much longevity, but just the sheer amount of episodes for Game of Thrones. Right. But if you just take it season, if you just take a season or just take 10 episodes of any show, I can make the argument that Hill House is better. The only one for some reason that's coming to mind that stacks up with it is oddly enough, the first season of ER, <laughs> which is like, I have not I watched that. The first season of ER is like incredible television, especially for the time period. Uh, I don't know why that's the only one that comes to mind, but yeah. So I think I'm more comfortable with my original claim that episode six, two storms is the best technical episode like uh is a technical one it's a technical marvel and two thematically and narratively it is you know it's hitting it out it's you know it's firing on all cylinders it's hitting it out of the ballpark whatever cliche you want to use two storms is it and then some i'm more comfortable saying that two storms is probably one of the best episodes of a television show that i've ever seen ever I agree. So, do you remember what number Hill House was on that list that I sent you? Was it like 50? Dude, it was down there. I forget. So, to explain to you guys, I was on some website and I was like searching, like ranking the best like season of any TV show or whatever. It was like ranking TV show seasons. And The Haunting of Hill House was tragically low on the list and I could not wrap my head around it which is probably one of the reasons why I've spent the entirety of this episode just praising it but it was criminally low so I look back at our conversation Screen Rant has The Haunting of Hill House as the 97th best season of any TV show ever you can't tell me there's 97 I remember there were there was like seasons of Parks and Rec, seasons of How I Met Your Mother, which it's like we're getting into muddy waters trying to compare them. Right. But come on. As a fan of Parks and Rec and a sort of former fan of How I Met Your Mother, I'm in a weird spot with that show right now in my life, but... uh. There are seasons where I do, I wouldn't even, I'm not even saying that they're better than Hill House, but I do think there are great seasons of those, you know, shows. Well. Are they better than this? I don't know. Well, as a person who has never seen an episode of How I Met Your Mother, and a person who refuses to ever watch another episode of the piece of shit that is Parks and Rec. Whoa. I disagree. I do not like Parks and Rec. How far into Parks and Rec did you get? I watched it all. Oh, okay. I watched it all. Here's the thing. It was enjoyable the first time around. There's no rewatch. There's no... I keep getting like stuck on my words. There's no rewatch value there. 
Really? No. That's interesting. None. I'll watch The Office 365 days a year. Won't bat an eye. Parks and Rec, I'm like, turn this shit off. You know what's funny is I have the opposite. I like The Office, but I think the some of the seasons of Parks and Rec are better than anything The Office has ever done. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna have a debate episode coming up here soon. The <laughs> Office versus Parks and Rec. I think The Office is better. Well, we'll, we'll save think, it for that episode because I'm curious to hear what seasons you high, what seasons of Parks and Rec you hold in such high regard. Yeah, we'll get there. I can't wait to shit on it. I'm gonna shit on you respectfully. <laughs> Disrespectfully shit on you. <laughs> Look, man, I, I don't, I don't know how much longer I could sit here just praising uh, Hill House. I mean, I could do it all night, but I don't know how much longer I can be entertaining. Or I'm probably not entertaining at all. That's not true, Travis. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess maybe we should wrap up with like what you think the entire story is or means or even means to you, I guess. Um, okay. I don't know. Well, uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. So I, I think it's just a commentary on grief. It addresses childhood trauma and how it manifests in your adult years. Right. And you see these different, you, you see the different siblings each deal with it in their own way. And it's also, I guess, a commentary on family because it isn't until they come together that they can, you know, finally get rid of, yeah, uh, uh, destroy come to, term, these... come to terms right. with what happened. But yeah, that that that's my answer. To um, I, I think it's just about it's just about grief and and, and how we deal with it. And it, it's also a ghost story, too. Yeah. Like, it, like that's one of the things that I adore most about it and I feel like I've said that 30 times this episode but this is very much a classic ghost story Mm -hmm. it has all the trimmings of a classic ghost story family moves into an old house there's ghosts shit hits the fan there's this one big final night and the family flees like it's very Amityville right yeah that's true but it's like Amityville on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think? So I do agree with all that. I will kind of go in a different direction. I think every character has an arc that means something different. So like Steve's is wanting to be the older brother, the protector, failing and then working his way to being that protector again. Then we have Theo, who her whole arc is she shuts off the world, shuts off feelings, doesn't feel things for people, doesn't want to touch people, and towards the end realizes that it is better to love, to feel, to feel someone else's emotions than not feel anything and be guarded. I I love that shot of her throwing away the gloves at the end. Love it. Yeah. Um, Hugh realizing that he is, or, you know, when we meet Hugh, he is the fixer. Um, Even though the entire series, he, like, 
he fails at fixing everything <laughs> in a sense because he doesn't his whole arc is he's there to flip Hill House, which he is unsuccessful at. He fails at keeping his family together. Um, but towards the end, figures out how to fix everything and bring everyone back together. And, in a sense, fix Hill House. Um, not, not necessarily fix it, but just leave it in a state where it won't harm anyone, yeah. I guess. Um, so yeah, this show is just about, um, like you said, processing grief, uh, the different dynamics of family and how family, you know, family is the toughest relationship you have in your life, uh, and how that can change and, you know, decay over time, but also be rebuilt and you can love Again, you can fall out of love with family and also fall back in love with family. So yeah, I like that. You can you can fall in love with your family. <laughs> you, can, you can get sweet with your family. Uh, that's why I draw the line, buddy. <laughs> you can hey, like a wise man once said, incest is best. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I had one other thing I wanted to say. Where did it, where to go? Where to go? Where to go? Oh well, I forget. Um, yeah, it's perfect. I want to watch it again. Yeah, I do. I do too. Kind of. I want to watch more of his uh, shows because I have watched Bly Manor, and while I did like it, there's a consensus out there that it is terrible, and I don't agree with that. No. I think it's good, but it's not... It's a sophomore slump. Like, Hill House was so good that you can only go downhill <laughs> from there. I and, think... And I don't even think it's necessarily that far of a, you know... No, it's it's not that far of a dip. I think while Hill House didn't really stick to the source material... Yeah, that's it something we didn't mention either. It, <laughs> it drew from one source material, whereas Bly Manor, instead of just pulling from The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, which is by far the biggest influence in the story, they pull from all of, like, not, I don't know if all, but they pull from a lot of his books mm -hmm. it, to the point where each episode is titled a different story by him that he's written. And each episode has something like loosely based from that story. I think maybe that's getting a little too clever. Maybe. Who am I to say? Right. I, I actually restarted it and then I fell asleep watching it. That's not because it was bad. That's just because I was really sleepy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that story is... That's, Blind Manor is more about like love, I feel like. Like love is the central theme. It's not this undercurrent. Uh, uh, they even say that in the finale of Blind Manor. Yeah. When the girl's like, you lied. You said this was a ghost story. It's a love story. You know, you know what? I'll just say this. Blind Manor is perfectly splendid. <laughs> so, yeah. I've watched uh, Hill House and Bly Manor. I want to watch uh, Midnight Mass. It it uh, apparently is very good. Um, 
and he has a new show out now, right? Uh, yeah, Midnight Club. Midnight Club, yeah. Is it Midnight Club or is it Midnight Society? It's Midnight Club, which is confusing for me because I'm like, <laughs> when someone, this guy at work, because he knows I watch horror, he's like, have you uh, watched Midnight Club? I was like, what is that? Is that a talking about the video games? Right. <laughs> yeah, the PlayStation Two launch title try, try, Midnight Club. Trying trying to get some dub edition going. <laughs> <laughs> like no, it's a new show on Netflix called Midnight Club. And then I was really disappointed when it wasn't about cars. <laughs> but then I see Mike Flanagan's name, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> ooh. spooky, 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 spooky. Oh, baby. We gonna go. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Before I have any more technical difficulties, <laughs> right? <laughs> let's say we, uh, we hit some recommendations and let's call it a night. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we won't see any ghosts on our way to bed. Uh oh. Hey, I told you guys <laughs> a few episodes ago. All right. Better stay that way. You friggin'. You friggin' freckers. <laughs> I guess I'll go first because I just have it in my mind and I realized this today. I'm going to recommend, shockingly, a video game. This video game is called S- Slayaway Camp Butcher's Cut. Uh, I have been playing it, and I realized this today. I've been playing it for the past three years during the months of October on Nintendo Switch. Slayaway Camp is a puzzle game where you play as a killer. Every level, you're placed in a a square, and you have to maneuver your character to efficiently kill every person on the board and get to the warp pad that gets you to the next level. And sometimes they put restrictions on you, like you only have a certain number of movements, or you have to... Avoid obstacles like bombs, fire, uh, water. There's even an obstacle where there's cats on the board and you can't hurt, you can't cause any harm to the cats or you lose the level or you, you know, you lose. Um, yeah, I realized today I've basically that has been a way for me to celebrate the witching season is playing this game over the past two, three years. And I didn't even really realize it. I only play it during October. <laughs> and yeah, it's basically become part of my uh part of my way of celebrating this season, this time of year. Uh it is always on sale. If you want to find a deal for it, you can look on decudeals.com. It's always very cheap by itself, and it usually is bundled with a couple other puzzle games as well. So and this game's great because it basically just parodies every slasher movie from the 80s. As you can tell in the title, it's called Slayaway Camp, you know, which is, uh, you know, Sleepaway Camp, which we did an episode on. So, uh, yeah, go listen to it. It's a good episode. And it's also, uh, you know, mocking the Friday the 13th franchise because you play as a character in a mask. There's a, a whole episode in the game where you play as the mother of the initial killer. You play as a clown in one episode. And, you know, this definitely has the vibe of 1980s, 
like VHS slasher movie. Uh, it, it basically is honoring that sort of time period. So if you like slasher movies, if you like puzzle games, if you like cheap games, I would, I would recommend Slay Away Camp. So I've made this joke. <laughs> I need to explain this. There is a commercial uh, that plays uh, locally where I am for an attorney named Carl Collins III. And there's a moment in Carl Collins III, or in this commercial, I should say, where it shows an older woman and she says, I would recommend attorney Carl Collins III. He is good. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. Um, so yeah, that I would recommend Slayaway Camp. Nice. Butcher's Cut. I'm pretty sure it's on every platform too. So definitely on Switch. It's on PlayStation 4, Xbox One. It was on the PlayStation Vita RIP. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah. So you can you can get it pretty much anywhere now, I imagine. This is out for me. Surprise, surprise. I'm going to recommend a horror novel. Uh, I wanted to kind of stay on theme and recommend a haunted house novel. Okay. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. But this one's a bit different. So in this story, it's... Um, well, I guess I should start by giving the title. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end. It, Start at the tin op. There you go. You did it. You did it. <laughs> uh, the Invited by Jennifer McMahon. So, this is a haunted house story, but the twist is this couple doesn't move into a haunted house, they're building one. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah, they're building. Not purposefully. Right. <laughs> they're building one. So I read this book a long time ago. I am building a haunted house. And, and one thing I will say, one little bitty kind of critique that I got is you got to suspend your disbelief just a little bit because you got you to gotta believe that this couple is actually attempting to build this house themselves. Like they're doing the work. They're getting the material, building it, everything. Just them two. So it, it does require a little bit of suspended belief. But it, it it's a really good novel. It's a really good novel. And it and if you're bored if you want to read a haunted house story, but you're kind of bored of the cliche haunted house novels, this one's a little bit different. Nice. Sounds good. Well, that's our recommendations. So we got we got one more man, one we, more we're episode. We're gonna make it five weeks of Halloween. Should we? Yeah, should we reveal what we're gonna talk should about? We I think we should. Okay. Yeah, Travis, go ahead, man. So, the epic conclusion to the first annual five weeks of Halloween. Also, side note: I don't next year. I don't care if there's only four weeks in uh, October. We're still doing five weeks of Halloween. <laughs> just you know that's my vote I'm tossing that out there now 
So you got a year to sit on it. All right. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it, bud. <laughs> Justin's like, no. <laughs> Right. So, again, so for the epic conclusion to the first annual Five Weeks of Halloween, we are going to be doing, I don't know, I don't want to call it a review, I don't want to call it a deep dive. It's basically going to be a movie Monday. It's movie Monday. We're going to be talking about Halloween ends. Which, if you listen to the last episode, we talked about. The entire franchise. Much, yeah, the entire <laughs> franchise. So it's on par for us and yep. what we're going for. So, so at the time of this recording, it is the 13th. And it comes out tomorrow, right? It comes out the 14th. Oh, shit. It does come out tomorrow. And it does come out on Peacock um, day one. I think it's a limited time on Peacock, and then it's going to go away. But... It's part of the deal that they struck with Halloween Kills and Halloween Kills being on Peacock as part of the pandemic. But Halloween Ends will also be there. Day one, I wonder if it's going to pop up at midnight. If it pops up at midnight, I might not be going to sleep. (laughs) Might just be watching Michael Myers stab some hoes. (laughs) (laughs) Hoes in a sense, you know. (laughs) <laughs> no hoes <laughs> yeah hoes not women men too <laughs> this is not gender bias okay y'all some hoes and you're gonna get stabbed <laughs> uh, yeah so we're gonna we're gonna end the five weeks of Halloween on Halloween with Halloween we're gonna end Halloween with Halloween ends get it uh... yeah I see it all worked out we did it. It all worked out. We I like it. we're in episode four. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're on episode four, and we had some pretty uh, significant technical difficulties that <laughs> you might or might not be able to notice. Who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. see. But uh, yeah, if you made it to the end of the episode, you know, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Yeah, wherever you're streaming this, if you want to, you know, rate us five stars. You know, you could do that. I guess. And also let us know in the comments of we have social media, Nerds Collide Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Tell us what your thoughts are on Haunting of Hill House. Tell us your favorite moments, your favorite characters, what you think of the series as a whole, what you think of Bly Manor. Uh I'm gonna let you guys know right now I'm accepting no Bly Manor slander. <laughs> so if you come in there and and you start talking shit about Bly Manor, well get ready to You can call Travis uh, his new name is Ralph because he's gonna rack it. All right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I just flexed. Um. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> we told just, you guys things was gonna get wacky. <laughs> yeah, this is a late night episode. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, thanks for getting to the end of the episode. <laughs> Things are wacky in here. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I can't stop fucking... <laughs> I can't stop laughing and I'm also stalling because I can't fucking remember the... <laughs> 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 the there just rated oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. 
So yeah, the term nerd is rated E for everyone. Find your passion, embrace it. Be into the spirit of the season. Uh, and you know, <laughs> fucking blanked again. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna start over. Be the nerd uh, that you are. I'm gonna start over. <laughs> I don't know why the intro always gives me trouble. Um, I can remember that, or sorry, the outro gives me trouble. I can remember the intro all ding dong day, but uh, not the outro. And just remember, the term nerd is rated E for everyone. Find your passion, embrace it, and be the nerd that you are. And also, get into the Halloween spirit. Yeah, get or in else. the fucking spirit, man. Jesus Christ. We're waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. See you guys next week. <laughs>